This is Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Hello there. Welcome to Life Elsewhere. I'm Norman B. The passing of Queen Elizabeth II has enabled all and sundry who have the tiniest connection to the royals to pontificate for hours on end over every facet of the media. And true to form, the networks have flown legions of commentators over to Blighty for seemingly non-stop 24-7 coverage of people standing in line for a month of Sundays, hoping to get a peek at the dead monarch. The whole parade of pomp and circumstance and common folk weeping has prompted me to consider my own views on the monarchy, but that may be better left to another time when the current episode is over. So I've selected a different look at the royals. Film and media critic Bob Ross will join me to discuss royalty in movies. Plus, I've chosen a new piece of music from an exceptional album that pays respect to the sovereignty of a land that was stolen. All will be explained later. First, our good friend Steve Brodner, the famed caricaturist, political cartoonist, joined the program a couple of weeks ago, and we said we're going to get him back because Mr. Brodner has a new book. It's called Living and Dying in America, a Daily Chronicle, 2020 to 2022. Steve Brodner, Welcome back to Life Elsewhere. Thank you, Norman. A great pleasure to be with you again. So, Mr. Brodner, let's talk about this book. You, first of all, you did say to me when we last spoke that it's a big book. And my gosh, it, it certainly is. It's a, it's a massive book. 476 pages. So let's get to the beginning of this. What prompted you in the first place to put these illustrations into a book? Well, these illustrations were not done for a book. They were done as a part of a daily practice. Um, somewhere in the pandemic, at the beginning of the pandemic, it occurred to me that it would be a very good idea, not for a book, not for anyone else, just for myself, to begin to document the lives of people lost in the, the horrific uh, uh, ongoing tragedy of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, so you'll see at the beginning of the book uh, a lot of faces and names and stories of people who lost their lives um, in, the, uh, in that terrible time when nobody knew exactly what the virus was. Nobody knew how you could catch it. Uh, we all have stories about things we did to protect ourselves against it that we realized later on were not necessary. Of course, nobody knew what to do. And wherever you were, whatever city you lived in or town or part of the world you lived in, you were trying very hard to cope with what this was presenting. Uh, education for your kids, your job, uh, your family relations, people who were living together who maybe now couldn't stand living together. Uh, people who were uh, just had uh, relationships or financial uh, standings just hanging by a thread. We're now seeing those threads being frayed and broken. So I started in the beginning just to draw these faces and put them on social media 
and uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And little by little, because I just kept it up every day, these stories and faces and voices of those who had passed began to accumulate and attract attention. Washington Post started to feature them, and then the nation took them as a series, an ongoing series, which continues to this day. Tomorrow, this is, we're recording on a Thursday. Tomorrow, Friday is the day when the nation posts. So nation, thenation.com will have on Friday at 11 a.m. or thereabouts Eastern time, the weekly installment of The Greater Quiet, which is what this was called. Then uh, it became a Substack uh, uh, newsletter that comes out every day to which everyone can subscribe. It wound up becoming a thing that became in some bizarre way important to people. I got a tremendous amount of support and as a result, I kept doing it. And, uh, and then Gary Groth at uh, Fantagraphics said, let's do a book. And we just gathered everything together. And it turned out, you know, I had done two years every single weekday uh, of The Greater Quiet. And if you put them end to end, it turns out it somewhat in some kind of uneven you know, free style way tells the story of American life uh, in particular, but the, the life of humankind in, in the public sphere, telling the story of those times. And so to the extent that it's a successful book, it is successful because it gives you that. It preserves these voices and these experiences in between the covers of the book. I should add one other thing. After a while, it expanded out. Uh, When George Floyd was killed and Breonna Taylor, uh, suddenly all of these other stories about social injustice and police violence became important uh, in the top of mind uh, for the world. And I just allowed those stories to be told too. Who are these people? What kind of lives did they lead? And then I did my usual caricature thing, making fun of Trump and all the people trying to um, distract and uh, mislead. And that took us to the 2020 election and then the insurrection. And it's it's, it's all in the book. Steve, I want to get into some of the illustrations because you are, this is your craft. Certain illustrations, certain pages caught my attention uh, for, for one reason or another. The first one is Rabbi Romney Cohn, 91, Brooklyn, saved 96 families in Czechoslovakia in 1944, giving refugees false German, false German, oh, false German IDs, died of Coronas Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, uh, unlike the 1918 flu epidemic, which attacked young people, this really went after the old people first and then uh, brought everybody else in. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the first reports were, uh, to a certain extent, elderly people who um, were not ready to die, at least not from this, and uh, wound up uh, having their lives shortened. 
you know, there there are some lives that were especially ironic, and I thought the rabbi's life was. Yes. Somebody somebody who had been a great, um, brave uh, savior of lives during the Second World War, saving people from the Holocaust, had made it this far. You know, the Nazis couldn't get him, but this could. And uh, it's just one thing after another like that. Yes, yeah, so like uh, I, I, I want to. I just want to touch on one other because we go from the, the yeah, rabbi yeah. to somebody in the world of well, the world world of words. Terence McNally. This is March the twenty ninth, two thousand and twenty. Terence McNally, legendary playwright, died of coronavirus. Coravi- yeah. Why am I messing that word up? Tuesday in Sarasota, Florida. He was eighty one. That one, of course, yeah. stuck to me because I loved his work. I still do love his work. I, I, I think you go on like this for a number of pages. Just there are chronic- quite a few. There are quite a few famous people in the book. Yes, who have exactly. Passed away. Yes, yes. Then, as we go along here, then we get to June the first, two thousand and twenty. After we go through just a lot of famous people and people that you you comment on, and then you say, and the illustration gives it away, of course. But you say tonight, Donald Trump tear gassed peaceful protesters and put police at risk to take a picture in front of a church after a day spent spewing hate, violence, and depraved indifference to suffering Americans. The hell I will is the comment coming from him. And and, and that's just, it's, wow, that is so powerful. And, and he's holding up a book, which and it says, God save me. Um, this uh, was the re- response, his response, to Americans who were... Uh, anxiety-ridden and distraught over what was happening uh, to black people uh, in, uh, at the hands of police. So uh, if you are a thoroughgoing fascist, and I'm sorry, we have to be direct, uh, yes. he and his followers behave like fascists, speak like fascists, think like fascists, have dreams like fascists, that probably qualifies them as fascist. And if you are of that frame of mind, someone who does not want democracy, but really is comforted by the idea that there is a superior uh, ruling class that represents your group, uh, a a racist thugocracy, where all manner of corruption is excused, then uh, you are going to not find out what's wrong with society and try to correct it. You're going to try to kill people who you don't like. And uh, uh, this is this shouldn't shock anybody. Nazis did it very successfully. And uh, 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 Ferdinand Marcos did it. And uh, uh, Pinochet. And you name it. Now we yeah. have Viktor Orban, who is one of Trump's heroes, and Putin. Uh, who seems to be strangely getting his comeuppance these days. But uh, Trump uh, became uh, the exemplification of why we could not course correct, why we could not make our response to COVID better, and why uh, we had increased violence in the streets. People like him want more violence. They thrive on it. Yeah, let me just point out one other famous person. This is May the 6th, 2020. 
And I'm going to describe the caricature that you, you but I'm going to read first. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is hospitalized for a gallbladder condition and will join the, the, the court by phone tomorrow. And you have Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's she's flexing a muscle and she's she is, like, very fierce. And she's and then on the other arm, she's got a tattoo and it says, we the people. Yeah, well, that was very wishful, very hopeful. Yes, uh, because she kept batting away maladies of one kind or another and yes. surviving. She, she really did impress us as a, a great survivor. And, yes. Uh, against all hope, we uh, kept uh, cheering her on. Uh, and uh, But anyone could see by looking at her how each time you saw her, she was a little more bent over yes. uh, in a state of ongoing deterioration. She was quite old. Uh, and uh, she, for all the virtues of Judge Justice Ginsburg, the, the, there was an, in, an unwillingness to bow to reality and uh, the facts of life and to uh, retire in a timely way so that uh, uh, President Obama could have appointed someone um, who was responsible to take her place. But that did not happen and it was uh, a, uh, a, a a tragedy for the country that Donald Trump got to appoint uh, three, I believe, three justices. Yes. What do you think? What? Just let's play imagine for a moment. What do you think Ruth Bader Ginsburg would make of the her beloved Supreme Court right now? Well, I think anyone who uh, cherishes democracy and uh, is aware of the history of the United States uh, is in a state of, of panic right now. I think she would be, I think uh, the remaining, three remaining uh, liberal justices on the Supreme Court are um, probably in a state of constant despair uh, because there's nothing they can do about this and there's nothing anybody can do about this unless we can start voting in a way that took all of this very, very seriously and uh, with enough of a majority in the Congress to actually quickly reform the court. And we could do this by eliminating the filibuster and deciding that the court might have 15 justices. Yes. And, and of course, the right wing would then take up arms and blow things up and shoot people. Uh, but that is, that's what they're doing anyway. And I think we have to stop being afraid of them. They, well, uh, just uh, just being very topical for a moment, I, I heard a snippet of an interview that Trump did today and back to the threatening thing of saying if he if he is indicted, there will tr be trouble like you've never seen before. I, I mean, uh, I know I <clears throat> how, how, how much worse trouble yeah. would would he manufacture than January 6th. Yeah. That, that, was, that was worse trouble than we've ever seen before. But the, the difference would be that he would not be president and that uh, law enforcement would not be castrated as it was on that day by him. And they'd be ready. And you know what? Those guys with guns, they're grossly outnumbered by uh, National Guard, uh, local police, state police and troops if necessary. 
this is, um, if it's going to be a civil war, these people have no idea what the Union Army looks like today. The Union Army, <laughs> the men in blue, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Will, will not look like in the red badge of courage. Yes. This, this is a different order of magnitude. Ask Putin. So if Trump wants to threaten violence, have at it. Have your overweight, diabetic baboons in scooters that the government pays for come rolling up with their automatic weapons and see what happens. Uh, I don't relish it. I don't want anybody to die, but I don't, I don't think we should be afraid of them at all. No. That's totally how they perfect. win. That's yes. how they win. Yes. They cannot let, win. Let me remind my listeners, just in case you've just joined us, I'm talking to famed caricaturist, political cartoonist, Steve Brodner. He has a brand new book, Living and Dying in America is the title, a chronic, a daily chronicle, 2020 to 2022. And what Steve has done in that time period, and he's still continuing doing it, has done a drawing, an illustration, a caricature, call it what you will, every day. And that's what we're talking about. I, I'm going to flip. I want to, I decided to, to do it chronologically would probably take quite a bit of time. So I'm just going to sort of pick out some of my favorite pages in the book, Steve. Here's one. See if you remember this one. January the 29th, 2021. A ghastly looking Trump sitting on what appears to be a throne of sorts. And kneeling before him is minority leader Kevin McCarthy. And the caption is, in a week of increased GOP white nationalist branding, minority leader Kevin McCarthy hurries to Mar-a-Lago to clear up any misunderstandings. Love it. Love it. Well, after the insurrection, McCarthy actually had a moment where he forgot himself and told the truth. Yes. He, he had assumed that yes. everyone in his party would, would immediately condemn what happened. And then he turned around after he opened his mouth, as did, as did McConnell, and realized that they had no troops behind them. And in fact, uh, they all, the Republican Party had adopted the Alice in Wonderland version of reality where everything was upside down and inside out. And uh, he realized that instead of Trump getting uh, hep to the jive, he had to get hep. <laughs> so he, to save his his neck, he flew to Mar-a-Lago and kissed the ring. And uh, Trump, once again, had my Kevin. He's my Kevin. My Kevin. Uh, Kevin wants to be Speaker of the House. And uh, they have every mathematical uh, probability of, of winning the House races. Uh, and yet, what is happening in the country is so dynamic now and so unpredictable that nobody knows what's going to happen. Exactly. And can you imagine on that night in November when uh, the, the numbers of people who turn out are far greater than predicted? You know, yeah. in order for things to not go the Republican way, uh, all that would have to happen is for everybody who voted in 2020 to vote again. And um, Joe Biden won those voters. And if everybody who voted for Biden shows up, 
uh, things will hold in the country. And I'm not ready to bet that that will not happen, even with gerrymandering and voter suppression and the whole thing, because people are even more energized now than they were, particularly yes. women, particularly women in reliably red states or, and swing states. So anytime you listen to pundits on the air or read in the paper of experts telling you how it's going to go, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. One thing Nothing. we do know, Steve, is that the polls today say that Biden is up in the polls, in favorability on all the different right. counts. Not a huge amount, but certainly significantly. It's a, it's a regular uh, creep up every week or two. Yes. He, he comes up another few points. And I, the last poll I saw was that he's close to 50% approval rating, which is for him or any incumbent president at midterm, very big. But he's had a big stream, stream, string of successes. Uh, and, uh, and he has a lot to be proud of. Even today. Yes. Even today. Yes. With the rails, the rail strike that he did that. Yes. He's a good president. He's a and, really good and, president. And he gave a magnificent speech yet again today. Did you hear the speech today? Yes, I, I yes. heard it. Yeah. He, today he had an event about uh, taking action against hate, hate yes. speech, hate crime in the United States. Um, you know, I, I want to have half that energy when he's when I'm his age. Everybody like to jump on him because of his age uh, and his stutter. Man, he's got his act together. Absolutely. Uh, 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 um, you know, the uh, Ukrainian war, that has everything to do with Biden also. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. and, and, and Putin is uh, in trouble, I think, with his own people. And I, I, we don't know how this is going to shake out. But I think historically, people will look back on the Biden administration as one of the more dynamic and successful ones of all time. Who knew? <laughs> Let's go back. Yes, who knew? Let's go back to December the 11th, 2020. New Hampshire House Speaker Dick Hench, Republican, died from COVID-19 one week after being inaugurated at an outdoor ceremony with some 200 many unmasked attendees. It has been since reported that a number had tested positive. Um, you know, the report is now that the American people are about 90, 95%, 95% uh, of us have immunity of some kind or another, either from getting the vaccines yes. or from having had COVID uh, once or twice. And uh, those antibodies are in us. So going to an outdoor event like that is nothing today. It doesn't sound like anything. No. People were having, there were all manner of super spreader events. And all it took back then was when there was no immunity, zero immunity from anyone, it's a new virus. Um, all it took was people to expose themselves to each other, being close proximity to each other in a sustained way for more than, I think it was 20 minutes, you had to be next to somebody outdoors, you could catch it. And so deniers 
COVID deniers uh, would get this disease faster than anyone else. And still is true. I think there's still is true. Yes. There's a certain number of deaths every day. I don't know what the number is now. It's, well, I mean, Biden, Biden and um, the first lady both had COVID, what, just a couple of weeks, weeks ago. That's right. And they yeah. bounce right back. And bounce right back. And, yeah. and, and you and I both probably know people who have told us within the last month, oh, I, I have it. Yes. And, and then they uh, have a couple of bad days. They get cold symptoms, flu symptoms, and they come back to work. Yeah. Uh, I've been teaching. I teach at the School of Visual Arts in right. New York. Uh, I teach three live classes uh, every week. And all last year I did that. Not one of my kids got it, and and I never got it. And the rule is, every, no, you can't come in the building unless you've had all your vaccines. And you, even now, even today, when I teach, we all have to have masks on. Right. And and uh, something's working because I never got it. You know, my wife never got it. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm fully expecting to get it at some point, and. And I'm going to get the, the next booster probably next week. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I am uh, I'm not worried about it the way we were really worried. We were well, worried about touching, sir. I remember going on the subway and yes. not like touching, you know, the railing yeah. or yes. like sitting like this on the subway yeah. with the mask. Two and masks. how many times did you wash your hands a day? Oh, I mean, I, yeah. 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 That's one of the reasons I picked out that particular one, that page, because how quickly we forget and how quickly we, even though it seemed like an eternity when we were going through the whole COVID crisis, here we are now in 2022. We're halfway through the year. And right. there's so many other things we're thinking about. That's what I like about your book, Living and Dying in America. Because you remind us, Steve, you remind us of what we went through, what we've gone through, and what we go through anyway in just daily life in general. And and, and I and I love that. I love that it comes up. Yeah, it's 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 good not to lose that moment and realize uh, thereby uh, the the progression and how much we have gone beyond it and. You know, to to think about how uh, how we are in some, many ways doing better than than we were then. There are many other problems now that we didn't have then, uh, but uh, I think a case can be made that we're dealing with the problems that we're yes. paying attention to them in a way. Back then, with Trump, uh, there was a, a ferocious will to deny, yes. and and he would get up and say the most absurd things and have 40% of the country believe it, endorse it, follow it to their own demise, yes. drinking Clorox bleach, hydrochloroquine, ivermectin, which is a horse dewormer. People were actually were made sick and some didn't survive because they uh, were somehow persuaded to close their minds to all other sources of information. Well, it was, just, just, the, it was just the other day, uh, uh, Steve, that the governor of Florida, DeSantis, said some really unpleasant, disparaging remarks uh, uh, about um, Dr. Fauci. Yes. And it was like, 
why would you do that? Why would that be necessary to 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 do that? It, it's just it's so peculiar. It's, it's because it's signaling. It's yes. it's uh, what what he knows uh, is being talked about in the dark circles of the right wing, the far right conspiracy ecosystem. So whatever whatever they're talking about, he knows that if he touches on those things, they will think of him as the next Trump, and that's what he wants. He wants to be the next Donald Trump. Because if Trump is indicted and thrown in jail by 2024, Republicans are going to want to nominate somebody. Yes. And he can be Trump Jr., but he's not doing himself any favors with the no. general no. voting population. And, and the Republican Party, by the same, uh, in the same time, are doing some very strange things to themselves. I mean, Lindsey, what is Lindsey Graham doing? But I, before we get into that, and we only have a few minutes left, I, I've got to ask you if you have, are there pages in this book that are just, standouts for you i mean I, you drew them but is there something in the book that you go i want everybody to see this um honestly i don't think so okay uh, yeah i think to me a standout is the very first page yes kios kelly or kios kelly i'm not sure how to pronounce his name he is the young nurse in new york who gave his life for his patients yes and that was the person who caused me to draw the first picture. And so it was just the next one and the next one and the next one. And uh, it's just an ongoing experience of reacting to what's happening right now. Let me show you what I'm doing tonight. This is my blog for Greater Quiet for uh -huh. tomorrow. tomorrow. Okay. This is a woman who is from Louisiana uh, and she uh, had news from her doctor. Her name is da Nancy Davis, by the way, which is the same name as Ronald Reagan's wife. Reagan's, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not Reagan's wife. No. Uh, she she uh, was told by her doctor that her pregnancy was, um, tragically, the, the, the fetus was developing without a skull. Oh. And... And she had to fly to New York to get the procedure done because she could not get it in Louisiana. Luckily for her, she could get on an airplane and come here. Come here, yeah. Uh, but uh, think about that. So, I mean, there's so many stories like this. And so for me going forward, this is going to be a big focus of my Greater Quiet Daily Project, which is to now tell the stories of the consequences of what we're doing now, which is uh, an all-out war against reproductive rights and the health of women. Someone yes. who can't get an abortion, it's people who have all manner of conditions and emergency situations and their southern states or whatever is, sorry, can't do it. Yes. Suffer, die, uh, uh, have sepsis, uh, then we'll do something if you have sepsis. I mean, how barbaric. Of course. What, yeah. what century do they think this is? You know? It, it, and and it, it was done, in my opinion. It's always been there to, 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 to try and win votes from people that don't really have much idea about what life is really about. It's, 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 a, right. quick, it's a quick way to get votes. But we only it's, have a few moments sig left. Signaling. It's signaling. signaling. Yeah. I just want to point out to my, to my listeners who are like I am a... a, a, a just a, a devotee of, of graphic design and art and, and, and 
the work that you do. The forward in the book is by one of my favorite, all-time favorite artists. Can you just, for my listeners that are in the same mode that I'm in, in loving illustration, and can you talk about the forward and who this gentleman is? Well, Edward Sorrell, uh, those who have subscribed to The New Yorker for many years, know many covers by Ed, uh, and uh, but way beyond that one magazine, he has been uh, one of the most powerful voices in the world of graphic arts and satire in the world. Uh, he's won all the awards. Uh, he has, you can find his work online. You can find books of his work. He's now 93 and uh, as sharp as you like and a uh, good friend. And what I a treat. I see him once Regularly? in a while. Regularly? Yeah. I see him, yeah, you know, on a regular basis. We're always Good. planning to get together. And so he just offered to do this for me. I, that is I wonderful. Told, I, I wanted a blurb from him, you know? Yeah. And he says, I'll write the introduction. I'm not going to argue with you. Oh. And, 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 he, and he wrote a wonderful one. It is. And what a treat for you. What a, and a treat for, for me and for, and for your audience that are. Um, people at delight in graphic design and uh, yeah, wonderful stuff. Steve, as you know, we could go on and go on and go on. I mean, there's so much, not only in your book, but there's so much that you and I could talk about. You cap you capture so much in the book. And I highly, I highly advise people to check this out and, and to get themselves a copy. Christmas Very is coming thing. up and, 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 you know, this would be a great, uh, I love giving books for Christmas presents or presents it's, at any time. And, 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 and this book is a, like a big, fat, thick, heavy yes, book and yes. people will be really grateful that you brought them something <laughs> so substantial. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So, so I'm very grateful to you, Norman. Thank you for having yes. me on. We'll get and, you back on and, and, and let's just, you know, do these things where we can just chat because you and I uh, tend to sort of go off on tangents, but that's okay. But we can do that. Steve, I wish it, you well, my friend. I, I'm very grateful, Norman. Uh, it's always a pleasure to hang with you and all the best. Stay healthy. Yes, indeed. Stay healthy. <laughs> Once again, everybody, I've been talking to the wonderful Mr. Steve Brodner. His book is titled Living and Dying in America, a Daily Chronicle 2020 to 2022. We'll have the link and all the information up on the Life Elsewhere site. Steve. Thank you. Be well. Be good. Stay safe. Thank you much, Norman. Be well. See you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you to Steve Brodner. The info and the link to his book, Living and Dying in America, is up at lifeelsewhere.co. Still to come, wonderful new music from a stolen land. First, our good friend, film and media critic, Bob Ross, gives his take on royalty in the movies right after this. Thank you for listening to Life Elsewhere, hosted by Norman B. To learn more about our program, our guest, and the music we feature, go to lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O.
The news about the death of Queen Elizabeth II has, of course, become just a major, I mean, it's beyond a news story. It's 24-7, people lining up to see the coffin, news coverage on all the networks. It's just going nonstop. I was thinking about whether we should do anything about the royal family, about the Queen and the Queen's passing and all the rest of it. And then I struck on the idea of why not talk about royalty but royalty in movies. And who better to talk about movies than our good friend, film and media critic, the one and only, the legend himself, Mr. Bob Ross. Bob, welcome back to Life Elsewhere. Well, hi, Norman. How's it going? Good to see you. Good to nice, to see you. nice to see you, my friend. Okay. The, the royalty, the queen. Uh, yes, she's passed. Yes, we're getting full coverage. The funeral is on Monday. This is on Friday. Uh such a lot going on, but I wanted to move on to something else. I wanted to sort of keep in mind the royalty, but let's talk about movies, the the, the movies, the royalty in movies, Bob. What do you think? Well, I, we've been fascinated by the royal family, this royal family, for so many decades. There was one movie about Elizabeth that she was involved in called The Queen, I don't know if you remember it, the Queen uh, was about Elizabeth and uh, the Prime Minister. I think it was Tony Blair, wasn't it? I yes, I see you may be um, right. There are very few movies, factual movies about her herself, but she's been a fascinating figure since she took over the realm. The best movie illustrating the uh, current English monarchy to me is The King's Speech. Ah, yes, from, uh, from was it twenty ten. Right. It starred Colin Firth as King George VI, who was, in fact, Elizabeth's father. Yes. So it gives us a lot of what her life might have been like before, although the movie takes place in 1936, which was a crucial time because the king was called upon to speak to the nation, and he had a horrible speech impediment. So all the stories about learning him learning how to speak but the backstory is it was important because the monarch is important to the nation and right. you know we make fun of the monarchy we, you know we think they're useless but in a time of crisis the country really rallied around the king because i don't know why you might know why but it was a big deal and and i think the monarch is still a significant figure in that sense, although essentially powerless. It's a very interesting question because there is sort of so much debate about the value of the royal family. Uh, I, I'm kind of, I guess I'm on the fence to some degree. I, it, it just seems like you're just born into privilege and it's just by pure chance that you become king or prince or, or whatever it might be. So you, so you say the king's speech for you is number one there on the list of movies about royalty. About the, about this house in Windsor, about this yes, house, yes, yes, which had to change its name during World War One, as you might recall. Right, yes, because they um, had a German name. Yeah, yeah. I found the Queen is the movie from two thousand six, and it's about Queen Elizabeth II after Diana's death. Ah, yes. The bad publicity that came with it, and Michael Sheen is excellent. He plays Prime Minister Tony Blair. Right, and yes. then. Uh, James Cromwell, who's one of, an excellent actor, he plays Prince Philip. So this is a real-life drama that was very well done and also won a few prizes. But I, I can't think of many other 
true life stories with her in the except these TV shows like The Crown. That's exactly. Just one thing about the King's speech. You mentioned Colin Firth, who plays the King, of course. I, I tend to think that Colin Firth in the realms of great actors is often under under underrated. I think he is a terrific actor. Yes, he, I think he is too. He is good. There's a lot of these great English actors that just like to be play the role and not be yes. a movie star. Right, exactly. Okay, so we've got the King's Speech and the, and the movie about the Queen, but what else have we got when we're talking about royalty well, in the cinema? Other, there's another Elizabeth back there. Yes. And uh, 1998, there was Kate Blanchett as Elizabeth, and she was nominated for an Oscar of six other categories, but it was a fine portrayal of Elizabeth I right. in, her younger, in her younger days. And the challenges she faced in a sexist organization, as you might imagine, and the way she dealt with it. And it, it's a good historical fiction, I would say. One that was more popular in its time was called uh, The Private Lives of Elizabeth and Essex. And that was back in 1939. And that yes. was Betty Davis and Errol Flynn. Wow, what a lineup. A lineup yeah. and... It was one of those Warner Brothers specials with lots of rip-roaring action and a lot of drama. And based on the true relationship, as I understand it, Elizabeth had a, a thing for the Earl of Essex <laughs> um, until she didn't. And he, I think he lost his head in, in the end. I'm not sure about that. But yeah, back in, the, yeah, yeah, back in the day. And uh, the other one I liked from back then is the uh, the uh, private life of uh, Henry VIII. Ah, Yes. And Henry, uh, let's see, that was in uh, 1933. Right. And it was Charles Lawton as Henry VIII. Now, there's been so many movies about Henry because it's a story that's rich with drama. I mean, he had six wives and he <laughs> dumped five of them, I mean, in, in very terrible ways. Guy was an animal, let's face it. But he was the king. Yeah. And so but my favorite is still Charles Lawton, 1933. He brings humor to this character, who's obviously not a great guy, but he makes him fun to watch. And uh, very robust. And But there's been a lot since then. Yes. So that. We should know that's, a, that's another black and white movie, which when we look back at those movies, we don't really re remember just how beautiful they were, even though they were black and white. In there, and the costumes were spectacular, yes. and, and yeah. they, they had to be because they were they were monochrome, right? But yes. in our in our time, color is a big thing. Yes, and there's one film. We'll go from England to all the way to China. Oh, okay. The Last Emperor. Oh, Bernardo Bellucci. In, uh, 1987. Yes, uh, made that movie. And it, he won Best Director, and it won Best Picture, and it won a total of nine Oscars. Best best Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Art, Sound, Editing, the whole schmear. Great film. And color, you wouldn't believe. Spectacular color. It's a story about a young, obviously the young emperor, who needs guidance to be emperor because he's so young. And Peter O'Toole... You got to have a, an, Anglo, an Anglo in any movie, of course. And so Peter O'Toole plays the uh, Anglo who helps guide the young man through the troubles of being the emperor. 
So again, the idea of an emperor is amusing, especially what when he's a funny. great choice and what a great movie. My goodness, gosh, oh, I'm yeah. going to have to get that one and, and get out and watch that again. Yes, because I, I haven't seen it in in a long time, so it, you don't see it on cable or reruns or anything like that. What so a great choice! A oh yeah, well but done. Yeah, long, as long as we're on that side of the world, I would like to huh? mention the King and I. Ha! Yes, it's about a a real king. It's based on a real life memoir by Anna. I forget her last name, but Anna and the King. She was a tutor sent from England to Siam. It's back in the I think the late nineteenth century, if I'm not mistaken. And and um, her job was to tutor his kids in the ways of culture, I guess Western culture. But it's Deborah Carr and Yul Brenner as the King of Siam, and yes. he is just. Yul Brenner's delightful. He can't sing, but he does great work in this musical. Does he? That, is it his voice? It's not his voice in the movie, is it? it, it it's dubbed. Yeah. I think there's one song that he speaks that's kind of ugly. I mean, it doesn't have to. It doesn't take a singing voice. I don't know. I don't know if Deborah Carr did her own singing. I, ah, I can right. look that up. Good question. Yeah, uh, really quick. But it's a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical from 1956, and it's just. It's fun. It's it's got some racial stereotypes that Yes, it does. Yeah. But you know, all their musicals did. Have you ever seen Flower Drum Song? I sure have, yes. Yeah. I love it. I love the music. I love the songs, but it's a it's a stereotypical it's, yes. Well, yeah. portrayal. Well, I have my own personal view of royalty, and it's reflected in one film called Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Ah, okay, yes. Nineteen seventy-five. Still a classic, still loved by young people who, whose grandparents saw it back then. And it's about a king, King Arthur, who walks around in the countryside announcing himself in charge. And everyone says, well, you know, how did you get to be king? Well, I pulled a sword out of a rock. And they all start, <laughs> you know, they all start laughing. So anyway, royalty is a little bit like you say, you're being born with pulling the sword out of the rock. And that's about it. Having said that, and that's a great choice, by the way, and thank and thank you for your list there, Bob. Having said all that about the movies that are being made, what do you think for the future? And as we are in completely different times now, and there's been these TV series and all the rest of it, do you think that there will still be movies being made about the royalty? Is it does it still yeah. deserve? Yeah, you think so? Yeah, all the great legends of 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 history of. Uh... Going back to the Bible, ancient Greek mythology, they're right. all about rulers and their and their foibles and yes. their conflicts. You know, and now we may be switching about from kings to czars and you know, dictators and such, but <laughs> yeah. I think we'll always be fascinated with the people in charge and how they got that way, how they stay that way. Oh, yeah. And and uh how they get how they lose it from time to time. You know, this French Revolution, they, you had this king who thought God made him king, and he found yes. out that Some there king, were limits. Yeah. So, you know what we should do, Bob, is put this question out to our audience and ask them their favorite movie about royalty. That would be interesting to see what people think. You've chosen some very interesting ones, and I, and I do like the idea of the top of the list there, the King's Speech. That's that's a great one. Great. But I'd like to hear what listeners have to say, what they think is their favorite 
movie about the royals or royalty of any kind. Yes. It would be interesting. Yes. Bob, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program. Love hearing from you. We've got to get you back on and talk about current movies and upcoming movies. We'll do that in a few weeks' time. In the meantime, my friend, you take care. Be well, be safe. And thank you so very much for joining us once again at Life Elsewhere. My pleasure. I call him the walking encyclopedia of movies, Mr. Bob Ross. Do let us know your favourite movie about royalty. Write to me, Norman B. at lifeelsewhere.co. And now to an exceptional album. The title, The World I Want Would Be Celestial Wet. This is on the Absorb label out of Melbourne. They tell me this is their first full-length release, an eagerly awaited compilation featuring acclaimed and lesser-known artists. They say this serves as a timestamp of a very special chapter in contemporary experimental music being made in Narum, Melbourne, and its surrounds. Absorb acknowledges the custodians of the land on which this publication was produced, so-called Australia is stolen land where sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to elders past and present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people. Here then is Emily Fishpool with I Don't Hate You. I'm angry and the storm is soaking through three identical pairs of brown, 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 brown,
That was the music of Emily Fishpool with I Don't Hate You. She goes by E. Fishpool on the album. And the album is really is sensationally good. It's, it's from Absorb Records out of Melbourne in Australia. And the title of the album is The World I Want Would Be Celestial Wet. It's so good. It really is. Want information about it? You know the trick. <laughs> you just go to lifeelsewhere.co. All the information is there. And talking about going there, go there to find out what else is coming up with Life Elsewhere and past shows. You can download them and you can read about them. Thank you so much for listening. It's always a pleasure to do this for you. Till next time, be well, please. Be safe, please. And please be nice. It costs absolutely nothing. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Life Elsewhere is written and produced by Norman B. Guest booking and additional research by Stephanie Lane. Behind-the-scenes assistance by James Van, Bruce Goodman, and Allison Klein. We love to hear what you think about Life Elsewhere. Send your questions, queries, and comments to info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. Mm-hmm.